for half a century, WJPZ Syracuse has been the greatest media classroom on the planet. We've trained students from the 1970s to the 2020s on how to run a professional radio station. But the lessons learned and relationships formed go far beyond studios and transmitters. Taking a look back through the eyes of those who experienced it. This is WJPZ at 50. Welcome to WJPZ at 50. I am John Jagay. We have a real treat for you. We have two members of the class of 1976 on with us. They were there in the very beginning when this whole thing started down to the University University of Maryland down at College Park. We've got Carol Mason and we have from the Onondaga County Sheriff's Office, Mr. Bill Bliley. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Bill, let me start with you. We've heard Dr. Wright tell the story about the knock at the door and all, <laughs> all these years later. Tell me from your perspective what it was like when you had the idea to start WJPZ. Well, uh, WJPZ came out of, I know when I came to Syracuse University, Radio was already in my blood. I spent a lot of time as a kid listening to all distant radio stations in bed at night, and I just had a a great love for radio. And I enjoyed um, the curriculum in radio and television at Syracuse University. I, you know, I learned a lot about the law and, and a number of other things, but I just felt like it wasn't the radio I knew. Immediately on coming on campus, I went to work at WAER. Got involved. A lot of, lot of really great people. Bob Costas, I did engineering for. Wow. Um, the Leeds uh, brothers, Harry and Steve, just amazing people. Mm-hmm. It was progressive radio at the time. It wasn't what I considered to be the kind of radio that I was interested in long term. And I came upon, a, and I'm not going to tell you who was running it, but uh, it, it was a, a bootleg station operating out of Warrenson. Um, and it was an FM station at the time. And I thought, well, you know, if they can do it, why can't we? And, you know, we found a bunch of people who kind of felt a, the same way. The first person I came upon was Craig Fox. And we decided to try something that would keep our interests going. It would fuel, you know, it would be a great complement to what we were learning at the university. At what point, Carol, did you get involved? Did you find out about what these guys were doing? I don't know, Bill, if you remember his last name. Somebody, Paul. I, I, I Blonde hair. And so all I remember, I was at WAUR too, but I never knew Bill there. But Bob Costas, I met him. Um, I had this desire to be Phil Rizzuto's broadcasting partner. Mm-hmm. The late Phil Rizzuto, for those that don't know who he was, he was the scooter who played for the New York Yankees. And I'm only 29 years old, so I don't want to give away my age here. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) I think we did with the year of graduation. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Phil Rizzuto was a hero to me. So I got involved at WAER, learning how to write sports, trying to get rid of my New York toy toy and toy accent (laughs) that Bob Costas said should not apply. (laughs) And then there was a guy, Paul, who... It'll come to us, but I just can't remember his last name offhand. And he goes, oh, there's a new radio station, WJPZ, and they need somebody to work noon to three. Are you available? I said, yes. Wow. I was going to make room, and I said, sure. I figured, okay, this is my chance. I might not get on the sports page right away, but I could try this. So the first song I played was Billy Joel's Piano Man, and it was doing records. Yep. 
you know, you're tearing the record. So <laughs> people are wondering what that is. Piece of vinyl. You can look it up online. They're called 45s. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it was a Billy Joel song and it started at the wrong speed. Oh, no. Oh, yes. And Bill had said, this was funny. Who the heck is that up in the air? I can't remember your exact words, Bill, but it was so funny. And I said, I think there goes my career. But somehow they had the patience to nurse me through it. And I learned how to make my mistakes and be on the air at WJPZ. And I'm forever grateful to everybody there. Bill and Craig Fox for starting the station up against impossible odds. And... Wasn't there a Brian Miller? There were Brian other people Miller, there. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Brian Miller was first program director. Yeah. And Bill and Craig deserve most of this. And Greg Fernandez, uh, who it was wonderful to hear from him. But they deserve the credit because it was a hodgepodge of old equipment. But this took commitment. I mean, you know, you think today everything is much easier. You had to have element nine if you were using equipment on the air, just in local radio. And it was wonderful for people like me because I was able to experience actually being on the air, not playing three hours of laid back Lenny kind of music and go, oh yeah, you just heard. <laughs> this was a real radio station and you learned. We had to sell time. We went to Plaza 81 Pharmacy. This is what I'm thinking. And I was able to help Bill and Craig build it. Pretty much get it known and different people. We, Mike Roberts came and all these other folks, Chris Tyler. It was very exciting. I think we knew we were in trouble when a couple of the local Syracuse stations, was it WNDR, Bill? I'm trying to remember. WNDR? Yelled. And we were broadcasting more than like two feet. <laughs> you were a threat? And that's something that we've seen as a theme that's cropped back up in this podcast over 50 years is the station does so well, the the big boys in town are like, hey, what is this thing going on at campus? They're taking food off our table here. Bill, I want to come back to what Carol mentioned about the equipment. Take me through, I mean, the way we've heard it from other people, but I want to ask from you since you had the first thing in experience, that essentially AER was getting rid of all this equipment that was old in the early 70s there. And you're kind of what, picking through it? Like, take me through this. Well, it was a combination of a lot of different equipment. You know, I had uh, in high school, um, I was a, a member of, I don't know if you you know what uh, in, in scouting um, Explorer posts are, but okay. I had an Explorer post. We were trying to get a, a radio station going and we got some equipment uh, donated from Group W um, at the time that were they were getting rid of some cart machines and other mm -hmm. things that, you know, they had sent us and the station never got off the ground. So... We were able to use some of that equipment. We did get a lot of equipment from WAR, you know, old, old board. The turntables were all, thank God for Radio Shack, because at the time <laughs> we did a lot of a replacement of turntables, but, you know, for very, very inexpensive, you could buy a very cheap turntable. So, you know, pretty much it was beg, borrow, and steal wherever we could. And um, I'm sure it's not that way today, but... At the time, that's what we had available. I know, you know, we all had limited income. We were going to Syracuse University. We were students. I was working a number of part-time jobs, so I had some money spare. Uh, we did have um, advertisers, and Carol, I'm still having flashbacks. You mentioned Plaza 81 Pharmacy, and I'm, 
I'm having flashbacks <laughs> of Acropolis Pizza. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. They finally went out of business. And worth mentioning, a lot of our listeners are going to picture the Acropolis that just closed on Marshall Street, but it was originally not on Marshall Street, right? It was on Westcott, I think. They were long, long time advertisers on WJPC, so... You know, they were important to, to give us that money to, to buy the little bit of things that we had to buy for our um, turntables and things. Um, but we did do the battle. You mentioned WNDR. You know, we had a lot of very talented people. It, it lit a fire in a lot of people. And, you know, it was the, you talked about the little engine that couldn't, you know, it was basically we had a tower on top of Day Hall. Um, it was basically a, what, what you call a top-loaded whole antenna with um on a coke bottle to keep it up and you know it was at times you know it went up you know to well it was 100 milliwatts is what you could do and that wouldn't even get us into the rooms at day hall but we did have a highly compressed signal which got us out um a little ways from the university campus and you know had to have listeners building up and i think it, the, the radio stations at the time it was very very competitive i had worked at wolf on the weekends you know, and I know that WLF wasn't so much concerned, but uh, WNDR, on the other hand, was fighting a battle against WLF, and there was another battle because, you know, formatted-wise, we weren't too far from WLF. It was a hard-fought program at the time, and competitive, and, you know, Brian Miller was the program director, and Brian really was a programming genius, in my opinion. I know, I don't know what he's doing today, but he really was able to, you know, run a, a tight, tight ship, and that, I think, scared some of the local radio stations and brought the FCC upon us. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how Rick Wright's involvement came, and I guess Jill can elaborate on that, but the point is, I think you, Bill, and Craig have changed so many lives, more than you'll ever know, because I'm hearing... Uh, who's the man at CBS that you said made a video Scott a couple McFarlane. of years ago? Or Yeah. I mean, these are people who, if you guys didn't play around with this equipment, wouldn't be where they are today. So I truly believe Bill and Craig are heroes for what they've done. I mean, because people at the university, corporate wasn't yeah. going to do it. And we know that you're either in the trenches or you're in the suits, and we were <laughs> in the trenches. And I think that's what made... WJPZ extremely successful. I mean, because WAER was considered the Syracuse's uh, own station, like they were the favorite son. So I think a lot of credit goes to those first few years and taking a chance on people like me and others that never were on the air before, because you never know where life is going to take you. It was such an exciting four years up. You know, I don't like to, to take credit. You know, I, I had a hunger, and Craig had a hunger, and, you know, we, we just happened to have the parts to put together and the idea to put things together. But really what it boils down to is all the people that were a part of WJPC. We had a very difficult signal. It was a very limited signal. Um, it's kind of like, um, you know, you really had to have a love for what you were doing. And the people that came to WJPZ and stayed with WJPZ, every one of them had a desire, you know, to move forward. And and over the years, the station moved forward, getting on to uh, cable uh, channel and, you know, eventually getting licensed in FM. And that really had to do with every single person who ever participated at WJPZ 
we very rarely had somebody come and go. Yeah. They had a true love for radio. They came in in their freshman year or sophomore year, and they stayed with us the whole time. And it was because they had that dedication and love. And and no two people could have done it without every single person along the way. It it was a family of people that that had a real deep feeling for radio. And and many of them went on to be successful. You mentioned Ann McDermott. Remember her, Carol? Oh, wow. Yeah. She went to CNN. Was that CNN? She went to CNN, yeah. What you just said, Bill, I think speaks volumes about the culture at the radio station. And this is something we've heard in so many episodes of the podcast about that culture and that family. It starts when the two of you were there. It starts, you hear so many people say, I found my tribe when I got to Syracuse. I know me personally, I got to Syracuse in the fall of 1998. I was from Boston, five hours from home. I was homesick. I didn't really know anybody. And I walked into the station And next thing you know, these guys are standing up in my wedding. It was just this atmosphere of folks that, and it started with the culture that you established in the 70s. So 72 or 73, the station went on. I want to say late 72. At what point does Rick Wright get involved? I want to hear the story from the student perspective. Well, Rick Wright came with the, after the... <laughs> uh, you know, basically, we kind of were an unofficial Syracuse University organization. You know, we stayed with Spectrum Records campus conveniences um, in their buildings. They were one of our advertisers. We traded off rent. Um, When the FCC came, and no, they didn't put a lock on the door. Um, That's not a true story. They they came, and actually, I think they were very (laughs) impressed by the operation that, you know, the students were doing what they did. Um, We don't have to rename the scholarship now, do we? uh, Well, no, I think it perpetuates a myth. I like it. Okay. You know, that's okay. I, I don't mind that. The FCC were very good, very cooperative, um, you know, but they did write a letter to the university and that, uh, you know, that stirred some waves. No university uh, chancellor wants to get a letter from the FCC um, saying you're operating a, a pirate radio station and you need to, you know, come into compliance with the uh, proper laws regarding uh, low power operation. Let me follow up on that, actually, Bill. What did the FCC want? Did they want it shut down? Did they want it? What, what was the FCC looking for when they complained to the university? Compliance. Like I said, I think they were impressed. You know, we lowered the power to where we should be. And, and the university, as a part of getting that letter, wanted us to become an official organization, wanted us to have a faculty advisor. Um, Rick Wright was suggested, and boy, what a pot of gold he turned out to be. Um, I remember going to his office to meet him, and there is a man that, you know, that I I had felt a a largely academic presence at uh, Newhouse until I ran into Rick Wright. And Rick Rick was, you know, and I don't mean that in a negative way. No, no, not at all. Rick knew radio. He knew the same radio that we loved, and he loved that same radio. So it was a match made in heaven moving forward with him. So the university needed you to have an, an advisor to be an official organization. Is that part of the story accurate? Yes. Also, I just want to stress it was treated like a real radio station. You couldn't be late to your shift. And we're having Brian Miller on top of that was fantastic. And you had to learn from your mistakes and you had to be tight. You had to sell it. We had to have a group of people that went and sold the time. We were surviving. I mean, yes, we became a student organization uh, with Rick Wright. But we were surviving by all of us working together very hard. And no question in my mind, after we graduated, this continued. 
with other people going to the FM band. I, I don't know that history as well, but I can tell you if it weren't for the commitment of every single person involved, it wouldn't have lasted, but it did. I think it really made a huge impact in the radio industry because we were actually doing top 40 format and as such becoming very creative and learning how to do everything so that people that graduated that maybe not necessarily went on the air did other things, uh, production, sales, marketing, so many things that we did for it to survive. And to this day, I'm forever grateful for the radio station and the people that started it. Are there any funny stories? I'll ask this to either one of you, whoever wants to take it first. Uh, funny stories you can think of back in those days that you still look back and laugh on? I can tell you one. I sometimes get very clumsy. <laughs> you know, it's an attribute, but it's also a curse sometimes. And <laughs> we were all joking around. And I don't know if it was you, Bill, but somebody slammed the door and hit my head. And all of a sudden, oh, it was geez. bleeding. Oh, my God. I do remember that. Yeah. And I went to the emergency perfect. room in the hospital. And it was Bill's aunt. Was it your aunt that was there? I'm trying to remember. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like... What happened? Well, you see, we were at a radio station. Yeah, uh-huh. Sure you were. But it was one of those miracle things. Yes, it was sad, but you had a laugh. It was just one of these crazy, like, who gets hit with a door, never mind, starts to bleed at a radio station and winds up in an emergency room, and the guy that gives me the ride, it's his aunt. <laughs> it was like, really... You used to do late shows, Bill. You were you were hilarious on the air at night. You had this high energy. It just was fun. It was a wonderful, wonderful four years. Like I said, I'm forever grateful. I, I tell people that I run into still to this day about the radio station. I said, Do you serious about radio? That's where you can go. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I whispered around here. Yeah, you don't <laughs> want to offend any of the Terps around you down there. I understand. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it was a wonderful experience. Oh, you know what was funny? We had a bunch of radio people from WJPC that went to Abe's Donuts. Do you remember that? We all dressed up. Oh, yeah. Abe's Donuts used to be on Erie Boulevard, and, you know, the, the hot donuts came out around midnight. <laughs> 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 and one night we just all dressed up. To go to this greasy spoon, that's what it was. It was like, you know, not, and it it was so funny, I guess. It was just one of these, let's celebrate the radio station by going to Abe's Donuts. I mean, fraternities and sororities had their formals. You just dressed up to go to the donut shop. <laughs> and they were good, weren't they? They were delicious. Oh, they were great, and especially when they were hot. <laughs> Bill, any stories from back in the day stick out to you you look back on fondly? People always have asked me, where did the call letters come from? Mm -hmm. How did you come up with WJPZ? I remember um, I was working, you know, I worked through the entire four years at WAER. I was an engineer and, you know, they always paid somebody to, you know, to be the engineer. And Craig Fox and I, I think it was a holiday when we were planning this. And uh, we were both um, staying in Syracuse and keeping WAER on the air over the holiday. And we were in the back room, and we were coming up with call letters. We wanted to come up with call letters for our radio station. And, and basically, we put a bunch of letters in the hat and, <laughs> and drew the, you know, we knew we had to start with a W, 
But uh, we drew the, the letters out of a hat, and as we drew the letters, we checked the, uh, uh, we had a broadcast yearbook at the time okay. and checked to make sure that it was a call that wasn't already taken. So that's how we did it. You, Bill, you are putting to bed so many myths that have been perpetuated over the years, because I was always told that JPZ was picked because it sounded like ABC. You're telling me that's, that's just one of those stories that took on its own life. Yeah. Uh, yes. I just want to know how these stories got started. <laughs> when did this happen? Was it? Well, everybody likes to tell a story. You know, it's <laughs> that, that's how I remember it. Anyways, you know, it, it has been fifty years, so <laughs> there's a lot of things that have gone out of my brain. I can't believe it's really fifty years. My goodness, I know what a miracle it is, and it's still there, and it's still it's still doing very well. I I love hearing that. You know, to know that you guys started something, and we were all part of the first years of something it's like we were pioneers and didn't realize it you know and that's been what's been so rewarding about doing this podcast is i'm sp speaking to you guys who are class of 76 i spoke to kyle left the general manager who graduated in 22 that helped get the station through covid i mean wow we have such a wide swath of folks on this podcast it's wjpz at 50 hey it's jag you're probably listening to this episode of the podcast because you know the person i'm interviewing but one of the true joys of this project has been learning the stories of everyone in the WJPZ family. When you're done with this podcast, I'd encourage you to check out an episode with someone you don't know. You never know what you might have in common with your other WJPZ relatives. Looking back at half a century of broadcast excellence. This is WJPZ at 50. I want to ask you both about what you've been up to in the time since. Carol, if you could briefly take me through your uh, through your career since graduation. Yeah, um, it's funny. Every phase of your life, I roll with the flow. There's a great song, um, Charlie Rich, Rolling with the Flow. All right. It's an old song. You can look it up on the internet today, and the words are just fantastic. But I keep on rolling with the flow. Um, I wound up in New York. I went to Indianapolis and from there, Chicago, four months later, and I wound up doing radio in New York. It was top 40, pop music, adult contemporary, I guess we'd call it today, adult contemporary. What station? Uh, WYNY. Okay. It was a lot of fun. Um, then every program director does things differently. But the funniest story I can tell you in my radio career, which was hilarious, I was working in Chicago mm -hmm. for about two and a half, three years, and WJEZ, not PZ, <laughs> and it was a country FM, and we were at Comiskey Park with the White Sox. See, now I'm dating myself again. Comiskey Park with the White Sox. I think they still call it Comiskey most of the locals. You're fine. I hope so, because it was, it's history, you know, and I even seeing the Cubbies win was exciting. But anyway, sure. so we're at Comiskey Park, and we're doing... Um, the Yankees are playing the White Sox. And I said, oh, my goodness, Phil Rizzuno, I really, I have to meet my hero. He is <laughs> like my favorite baseball broadcaster because he's a true Yankees fan. Sure. And one of the news people there said to Phil, Harold Mason, one of our DJs, wants to meet you. So I went up there. I met him. This was so exciting. I told him, oh, I love your job, the way you work. And. I was like a schoolgirl. I was so excited to see this is the hero my father always watched on TV or relatives. Mm -hmm. What a pleasure that was. Okay. Fast forward a couple of years. I'm in New York at WYNY. Now, WYNY was the NBC 
owned and operated FM station. Why am I saying that? Because the Yankees were broadcast on WABC. Right. Which was the ABC owned and operated our big competition. So the engineers loved to talk. They talked to each other. And at the time, the engineers were running our boards. You know, we didn't run our own board. It was the Navy Union. And this was in New York. So one of my friends from Chicago calls to tell me, hey, um, I told Phil Rizzuto that you're working in New York. Hmm. Okay. Well, on the TV side and on the radio side, he mentioned, he goes, oh, Carol Mason, very good friend of mine in New York. She works at WYNY. Uh, she said hi to me. And I didn't know this was going on at the time. I'm on the air. They went crazy at WABC because... You shouted out the competition. It was it was the competition. And then my father heard the same thing at WPIX-TV 11. He had mentioned it there. And my father, like, is this true? Did he mention you or I'm just imagining it? It was so funny. But what, to me, that was the most exciting day. <laughs> that was, uh, I said, oh my gosh, he mentioned me. Because someone said, Carol Mason says hi. He goes, I remember her. She was here. They always say, don't meet your heroes. But sometimes you meet your heroes and they live up to it. So that's really cool. It was my favorite night in radio. But thanks to WJPC, I had a great career in New York. And then we moved to Maryland. And I decided to keep my foot in the door by working part-time on the weekends. It's funny. I get to do other things, have a family, and at the same time keep my foot in the door. But finally... In 2011, I decided it was time because working seven days a week just didn't cut it. <laughs> sure, sure, yep. But I still am in touch with people. It was such a great experience. That's why I think JPZ, I believe in it so strongly. It's such a great radio station for anybody that's interested in any aspect of the broadcasting field. And that's thanks to you guys for starting it. Bill, take me through your uh, your career arc since graduation. Well, first, I, I just want to jump on something that Carol brought back, some memories for me when she talked. You know, everybody there, and I, I mentioned that everybody, you, you just had to have a love. And taking people back that are in radio today, you know, you listen and, you know, you, you hear females are very commonplace on the air. They weren't back then. Yeah. You know, especially, you know, Carol talks about wanting to do sports, um, but even DJs. I can't remember any female DJs other than one part-timer at one of the, the local radio stations, but it was very, 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 very rare. You know, you just didn't see females on the air in radio in Top 40. And Carol amazed a lot of people. She really developed talent quickly. And, you know, to the point, and I still remember this, that Sandy Beach, you know, from WKBW, you know, in Buffalo, was, you know, driving on the thruway and uh, was able to, came up, you know, he had heard about WJPC, the student-run station, and Carol happened to be on the air at the time. And next thing you know, Sandy Beach is, you know, which is my my radio station of of my life, you know, um, when I was young, calling her, asking her if she wanted to come to work at WKBW. <laughs> so, you know, you just, and for a station like that, which I, you know, and, and having a program director um, like him recognizing that talent, when you can go from WJPZ to Chicago and then New York, 
that says a lot about the individual. And you, and you for starting it. You know, a lot, lot of talents and a lot of, lot of females and McDermott, you know, got their, their start in, in a career that otherwise was kind of closed, you know, to female talent at the time. So thank you. Well, none of this would have happened if you and Craig Fox hadn't started it the way you did. And uh, that's why I said a lot of people, I mean, you never know what your calling is going to be in life, but think about what you've accomplished. How can you help but be happy with that kind of track record? It's amazing. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for every, every time we walked into Campus Conveniences building, every walk to Plaza 81 Pharmacy. And yes, I think if I recall, didn't we all eat at Cropless Beach a couple of times? Once and <laughs> never again. <Yeah. laughs> Bill, take me through your uh, career since Syracuse. When I left, I, I started at WHEN Radio. I was interested in management and, and decided that I, you know, the, the way to get there was sales. And, you know, at, at the time, big corporate was taking over um, the company that uh, bought just before I, I joined WHEN really was the let's draw as much money out of it. You know, they didn't have the love for broadcasting. So that kind of soured my, you know, uh, my, my thoughts. During the summers when I and I lived in Buffalo, I had a job that I worked for the Immigration and Naturalization Service. And I developed kind of a, an interest in, in law enforcement and took some civil service tests and, um, you know, got into the police department and worked my way up uh, 32 years to captain and retired um, at the same time. You know, I was able to apply a lot of the technical knowledge. I love the engineering of radio. I was always fascinated by, you know, here I am, you know, in, in a suburb of Buffalo, listening to radio stations in New York City yeah. and Chicago and, you know, even KFI in Los Angeles. You know, the technology amazed me. So I always had an interest in that. Um, and that interest grew over the years. Um, I got a job in engineering with... Um, it wasn't Clear Channel at the time, but they owned WSYR and Y94 and uh, WBBS at the time and grew into uh, six or seven stations while I was there and um, stayed with that for probably on a part-time basis for probably close to 22, 23 years. But I retired the technical knowledge. Um, after I retired, I retired to immediately take a job I was offered because I had been involved in getting a county radio system going. And because of that involvement and management and public safety, um, I was offered a job to run the county 911 center. So I ran on that county 911 center for nine years, um, retired from there. And um, as I was announcing my retirement, the sheriff invited me to lunch and asked me if I wanted to uh, come over to the sheriff's office and till the end of his term. And I did that and uh, ran a jail. And now I'm at the headquarters running personnel and administration. So now I'm going to retire. Well, depending on when this airs, that'll either be before or after Bill officially retires on, what is it, December 31st, you said? Yes, sir. What has been your perspective being in Syracuse and in Onondaga County, being within shouting distance of the radio station and how you've watched it evolve over all this time? Well, I listened to it evolve. You know, I, I Rick Wright and I keep promising each other that we're going to get together and... <laughs> Uh, definitely going to do that once I retire and have the, t the time to do it. But the interesting perspective for me was uh, my kids grew up listening to it. Wow. And they didn't know, you know, my attachment to it <laughs> until one day when uh, Scott 
uh, did his thing and produced that poster. And I came home and my kids were just absolutely blown away by that. You just kept this secret that you were one of the, the guys that built it when it first started. Yeah, they were really surprised. So it was interesting to, to see, you know, they still listen to it. They love it. That's great when your kids can see something like that and be so proud. Yeah. And I would love to be a fly on the wall seeing that one. It's it's such a joy. <laughs> and I'm sitting here, and forgive me, pinch me, but I think we're so lucky that we're around to see this 50 years later. I mean, think of how lucky we are that I hear such wonderful stories about people that have succeeded in the broadcasting industry. And, you know, you have your cynics that say things, I think it's a joy that you can go to Syracuse University, be a part of this radio station, give your heart and soul to it, and then really find a place in an industry that wants you, the kind of talent you develop at a place like WJPC. So to me, I think this is a wonderful story that's probably going to keep on going. I would love to see it 50 years from now. For the 100th year anniversary, I'm sure there will be a lot more stories that you'll come up with. (laughs) Well, I'm sure there will be over the next 50. And on behalf of all of us, I want to thank the two of you for your contributions in those early days, getting this thing off the ground. And it's paid dividends over half a century now at this point. Bill Bliley and Carol Mason from the class of 1976, thank you both so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having us. The WJPZ at 50 podcast is created entirely by the staff and alumni of the world's greatest media classroom. It's hosted by John Jag Gay, class of 2002. Editing help from James Bames Grundy III, class of 2020. Imaging by Maureen Cooper, class of 1999. And Ed Lacombe, class of 1985. Podcast artwork by Marty Dundix, class of 2001. Follow WJPZ at 50 on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you're listening right now. 